Well, our sermon is from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier. Hopefully, you heard that and marked your place ahead of time, as I said, because we're going to open it right up and get in there. I, I, um, I mentioned I'm beginning a series through the book of Ephesians. It is absolutely loaded. Those of you who have been students of the Bible know this to be true. Um, at only six chapters long, it's a bargain. Uh, you know, there's so much you get in six chapters. And hopefully some of you took me up on the challenge this week to find a half hour or so to read it all the way through in one sitting. Uh, it's pretty doable. If you didn't do it last week, do it this week. It's okay. I'm not checking your homework. Uh, that's a first, isn't it, students? I, gave, I signed homework and I'm not even checking it. So, um, but it is absolutely loaded. Probably my favorite book of the Bible, and so um, a real delight to be beginning our series uh, through that. I've titled this sermon, Our Story, His Glory, and hopefully it'll become clear why that's our title for today. But I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as we listen attentively for His voice in the Scriptures and give reverence to His authority with which He speaks. Beginning in verse One of chapter 1, reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. and We open it now, as always, with expectation that you have something to say to us in it and that it is not just information, but it is truth and it is life um, able to, the, to cut, to penetrate to the very center of our being and discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart, Lord. And you know every heart here, every need, Um, that our hearts represent and um, all the ways that you desire to speak into our hearts and our situations and to minister that truth and life to us. And so we open our ears 
and our hearts to receive what you have for us. We pray that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good always. Lord, I pray now, as I always do, that you would move me out of the way and just use my voice as your instrument today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, I, I love to hear people's story yeah, pe- uh, about people's background, story about where they grew up, uh, just, you know, wh- wh- about their family and um, where they went to school, all kinds of things that formed them into the people that they are today, you know, the things they loved along the way and so on. When I used to interview uh, teachers, I always, I could really spend too much time uh, asking them questions, just genuinely interested in their story. The people who know me well uh, know that I have the gift of turning any short conversation into a long one. And, uh, and that's one of the particular ways that I'm uh, uh, prone to do that is getting uh, into a conversation just about somebody's background. love to hear their story. I read recently about a man uh, who had been adopted as a baby. And he knew that. He knew that his mother, the, the woman that he always knew as mother and regarded as mother, it was not his biological mother, but at age 30 or so, um, he asked his mother to tell him the rest of the story, as it were. Uh, about his background, the things that he didn't know. And I won't elaborate on that, and it's not uh, especially dramatic, but uh, it had it included the fact that this man who had grown up in the U.S. found out he wasn't born in the U.S., but his parents um, had l- been born and raised in Italy, and right around uh, World War II, when the war broke out, and they're being very poor and being very uncertain about the future uh, their own future, the future of their family and country and so forth, they uh, sent him to the United States with a cousin um, who then herself later died in an accident and her brother adopted him and married another woman and they became a mom and dad to this boy and this young man as he grew up. And so he asked a question about the rest of the story, as it were, and had no idea of what would unfold there, of, of how extraordinary the story really was. He only knew his story as far back as he had memory, and that's actually true of all of us, right? And most of what we would tell about, even just the world, we, we know as much of it as we have lived, even our own life, and we've been told some of uh, the, the background before um, we rem- have memory of that, or even before we were born, but most of it is the part that we lived. But the rest of our story actually ba- began long, long before we had memory of it. The book of Ephesians has an element of that sort of thing to it, uh, the, the first half of Ephesians in particular. It's a letter written to Gentile Christians in a region located in modern-day Turkey, and in fact, uh, really, the consensus seems to be among you know, Bible scholars that uh, though it is here addressed to the Ephesians, it's written in a very general uh, fashion for 
Christians and applies to Christians very generally, it probably became a circular letter, as they say, in that region of the world, um, among Christians in that region. But it, it's written to Gentile Christians. They were pagans. You might say, you know, polytheists. They believe in uh, all kinds of other gods. There's no, no hint of Christian in them before they became Christian, before they met the Lord Jesus Christ. And in essence, Paul writes the first half of this letter telling them the story about how they had been brought into the family of God. It is tell us the rest of the story. He's, he's telling and reminding them, I suppose. Reminding them of some of what they uh, understand and have experienced. But he's even telling them things that are true before they have any memory of them. That's really the first half of Ephesians, more or less. And, this, and the second half is really about how they should live in light of that fact. Let me remind you of all that God has done and who you are in Christ, and then, in the second half of the letter, therefore, how shall we live? But what begins to to be made clear right off the bat, to them as Christians and to us, reading the story just says, as believers, what's told to us to be true about our story as followers of Jesus as, as it goes way back farther than we understand. And it is far better than we imagined. However you tell about your own personal experience uh, with the, uh, the goodness of God, as we just sang about, and hopefully most of you, many of you, have a testimony of that. Amen? You can just say, yeah, give me the mic, brother, and I will tell you about the goodness of God. I got a story. And so however you would tell it, in other words, and it's loaded with good stuff, however you would tell it, I'm telling you, it's better than you could tell it. It's better than you could tell it. And that's really what he gets at here in, uh, in, in Ephesians, even right off, right off the bat here in the very first half of the first chapter that we read. So much so that to take it all in, is like drinking out of a fire hose, as they say. I mean, even, even just what we just read, maybe you got the sense of that as I was reading it. It's like after about three verses, okay, I give up. I can't, <laughs> I can't absorb anymore. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. Or I, um, I was praying with a uh, couple of our elders before the service, and, uh, and one, Hugh, Hugh Thompson, who, as many of you know, is an outstanding teacher himself, he said, to use another analogy, it's like uh, the dessert buffet. And, uh, you know, anything you take from it is going to be good. But you better not try to take all of it all at once. Because you just can't handle it. And that's a bit how uh, this passage of Ephesians is. In the Greek text, you've, you've maybe heard verses 3 through 14 make up one single sentence. The longest sentence in the Bible is what we just read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Um, It's okay for Paul. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that in the Bible. Students, it is not okay for you. I'm sure your English teacher would tell you not to write run-on sentences quite that long. But one sentence and the, and the, the, the 
good news just comes gushing out of the fire hose. And you just can't even keep up with it. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another. That is our story. It is our story about how good the good news really is. And as followers of Jesus, we look back and see that God has written and God is writing the story. And he's writing it for his glory. Our story for his glory. It's good to you and me. But it all redounds to his glory. And so I want to just begin to crack open this passage today. I'm going to take it in more than one uh, message, so at least part two will be next week. And, um, and we'll see if we can begin to get our minds and hearts around the first few verses of this, really just looking at verses three through six. So I want to look first at, uh, in verse three, just the this phrase that we are blessed in Christ. Blessed in Christ. Verse 3, look at it. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I have read this so many times. When I was in seminary, we had to memorize this passage. I know it well. And yet I think I still don't understand it. I read verse 3. I can hardly get to the end of verse 3 before I'm like, wait, what? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I hadn't been in the pantry in the heavenly places, but I think that's a whole lot of blessings that we've been blessed with. And this opening phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or blessed be God. It's a a familiar phrase to those who have read the Old Testament. In fact, the call to worship that I read this morning from Psalm 31 began with that in verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown, uh, shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. We read things like in Exodus chapter 18, verse 10. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. You read this over and over. It's probably in the Old Testament 40 plus times um, in a phrase like that. Blessed be God who did something great and good for us. And so Paul actually begins our story that way. Let me tell you about your story, how it's better than you even think. Blessed be the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I would say in Christ is another key here. If you want to try to highlight some phrases or words to begin to understand what he's saying here, Um, In Christ is obviously an important one. It says here, in Christ, in him, through Christ, in the beloved, and and phrases like that nine times that I counted just right here in these handful of verses. That it is in Christ that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And one of the things that says to us 
it's not really like we've never heard it before. Again, there, there's probably not much here we haven't heard before. There's a lot here we've not understood before, and we still struggle to understand. But, but one of the things that communicates is that God's favor to us, his blessing upon us, the every spiritual blessing with which we are blessed, the reason for that lies outside of ourselves. It is in Christ that we find all of that favor and all of that Blessing, it's not any merit in ourselves. So that may be part of your story that you didn't understand well enough, whether, that, whether you think that's good news or bad news. God hadn't shown his favor to you because of just how special you were. But how, or, or how good you were, or what, you know, your, your good effort or good intentions, but just his good favor toward you. How special you were to him and were to become to him. That is to say, though, it is, it is not of our doing. And the good news of that is, if you know you hadn't yet arrived, in fact, there are, there are perhaps people here right, right here today who half of you, a part of you, considers... Uh, seeking a relationship with the Lord and goes, you know what, I know I don't deserve every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I've lived all my life knowingly the way that I wanted to live it. I've known that I was disregarding God and uh, I don't deserve his goodness. There are people who think that way. And the good news to you is that's not the point. His goodness toward you and me isn't contingent upon um, our goodness or deservingness of it. That's not really a word, but communicates well. It has nothing to do with our merit. It has to do with Christ. It is in Christ that we are blessed. The second phrase I want to, um, again, sort of attach a hook to we see in verse, verses 4 and 5 that we're chosen for adoption. Let me read that again uh, in verses 4 and 5. Look along with me. And this is why I really wanted you to have a Bible open yourself that you can, uh, can kind of read what, what it says. But it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Those words, chose and predestined, tend to make people uncomfortable. I don't know if there's anybody uncomfortable here this morning just in hearing them read, but uh, we don't necessarily know what to do with them or what somebody's going to say next about them. You might be wondering that. What's he going to say next? But it tends to make people uncomfortable, and, there, and it raises questions in our heads about we, we don't know how to even make sense of how all of that works and what we know about the nature and character of God and the, uh, the, the, the free agency of uh, human beings and the, you know, making our own decisions and so forth. We don't know how all of that fits together. In what sense has he chosen us, predestined us for adoption. I, I use this analogy, and this is not a really uh, 
these are not complete answers to the questions that arise in people's minds, but I think helpful to get a picture um, to attach this concept to. Because what he is trying to tell us is this laundry list of blessings that God has given us. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he begins to listen how good he has been, and he doles them out faster than we can process them. But chosen for adoption, I, I, I say sometimes if you picture uh, the movie uh, or stage production, Annie, where Daddy Warbucks goes to the orphanage to adopt an orphan. Okay, and, I, and that's as far as that particular uh, analogy goes. I mean, as far as uh, that the particular scene. But a millionaire going to the orphanage to adopt an orphan. And if he comes to the orphan and all of the little kids dress themselves up and clean themselves up and line up there, you know, in, in the front room saying, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, I want to go. And if Daddy Warbucks comes along and he has the capacity to take all of them, he's got a mansion big enough and all that. Um, there's something about if he just picks one or two of those kids, there's something that seems unkind or unloving about that. And this is the struggle. This is a struggle people have with the, the, these words and these notions and thinking about. Uh, God, as we know his character. There's something that seems unkind or unloving about that. But if we imagine a different picture there that Daddy Warbucks pulls up to the curb of the orphanage in his limousine and all of the kids there see him coming and they run the other direction, cursing him, and they go and hide in the closet and in the attic and so forth and some of them run around back and come out and, you know, steal the hubcaps off of his limo and spray paint the side of it and slash his tires and things like that. And, the, and they all revile him and hate him and don't want anything to do with him. And yet, he chooses some for adoption. Well, that is indescribably, immeasurably loving and kind of him. I would suggest to you that the way the New Testament describes the, the state of man and the heart of man toward God, the un, unbelieving man and his regard for God is closer to the second scenario there. That apart from, apart from the grace of God, we are dead in trespasses, we're far off from God, we're aliens and strangers, enemies of God, friends of his enemy, in fact. And Ephesians chapter 2 is going to go on and unpack that for us. That's the picture he gives of what our posture was. And see, writing to a very, very overtly pagan audience, they know that that's true. Godless and anti-God people. And yet... Because of his great love, he's chosen some of those for adoption. And the, part, the, the point of even 
uh, sharing this for, for Paul, he is, he is telling believers, look back and see how good and gracious God has been toward you. That not because of anything we did or we deserved, but just because of his goodness and for his glory. And that's really the third point here. Is that all of this works, as he says in verse 6, to the praise of his glory. He says it in verse 6. He says it again in verse 12. And then the very last phrase in verse 14. In verse 6 it says, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or some translations would say, To the praise of the glory of his grace. In the newsletter uh, article that I sent out this week, some of you may have read that. And again, maybe some of you did that homework assignment. Um, and... And read through that passage looking for the why. I said, okay, you can read this. It's easier to see the what has God done. What are all the ways in which he has blessed us? Well, he's, he's blessed, he's chosen, he's adopted, he's predestined, he's forgiven, he's redeemed, he's given an inheritance. And all these, all these words that he lists here of the things God has done, what God has done. And then I asked the question, look for the why. Why does it say? What's God's purpose in doing so. And I want to ask for a show of hands on how many tried to do that. But uh, you may have found there's a, a, a few things that he mentions there about making us holy and blameless, presenting us as holy and blameless before him, uniting all things in Christ. He mentions several times um, this phrase that something along the lines, according to the purpose of his will, according to his good purpose, according to his good purpose and pleasure. It, it, an answer that really is sort of a non-answer. He just, he did it according to his good purposes. That doesn't really give you new information. It's sort of like when you ask your parents something, uh, why? And they say, oh, because I said so. Right? Now, I will ask for a show of hands. Raise your hand if you've ever had that experience. You ask mom or dad, why? And they say, because I said so. Okay. Um, well, that's not especially informative, is it? <laughs> and maybe from your viewpoint, not especially helpful. But it's sufficient. Because he said so, right? And the, so he says a number of times that according, he did this according to his good purpose and pleasure. But the real enlightening phrase, the real enlightening why that he gives in all of this is that he, he has blessed us so lavishly and abundantly to the praise of his glory. And next week we're going to develop that further and try to really get our minds around um, that more. But I, I want to hang that out before you because I think this is really perhaps the key phrase in this passage. That what he begins to unpack in the very opening of Ephesians 1 is to say, let me recall for you how good and gracious God is and has been to you and that he has done so and been so to the praise of his glory. Because whenever we look back on our story of coming to know the Lord, we ought to be reminded that the gospel is a rescue story. 
and you know, you know great rescue stories. They always, they make good movies. I mean, I shouldn't even say good movies. They don't even have to be very good movies. They make popular movies and movies that make a lot of money. There are themes that people love to read about, to watch, and to experience. The damsel in distress, so to speak, the whoever is that is helpless and in need is rescued by the hero. And the gospel is a rescue story and God is the hero. And he intends to be celebrated. When the headline is written about your story of coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, he's the one that the headline is written about. As it goes with rescue stories as we know them um, all the time. In fact, I was thinking recently, just in the last couple of months, in this same part of the world that we're reading about, in Turkey, where there was uh, the earthquake that left, you know, well, it, a lot of people dead, but left uh, some people buried in rubble for days and days and days. And teams came in and saved them. And some of the stories were absolutely amazing that people had even lived that long or that they found them and that kind of thing. But if you go back and you read the headlines about that, the story is about rescue and the heroes are the rescuers. That's exactly the story. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul intends for us to understand as Christians that is true of our experience in coming to faith in Jesus and in our, our journey with him along the way. That we were helpless and in need of being saved, but we were not only helpless, but enemies of God, he goes on to say. It is absolutely astounding. I'm getting... Ahead of myself, I'm getting into chapter 2 and, uh, and beyond in the book of Ephesians. But I'm telling you, it is absolutely astounding what he says was true of us and yet how God sweeps in to save us in spite of that. But he intends to be glorified by that. He will be in eternity more beautiful, more glorious because he saved and because of how he saved. Last week, in fact, we were looking at that passage in Revelation that, that tells us about what it is that awaits us. What is God uh, preparing for us? And it will be absolutely glorious. Absolutely glorious in that complete peace, um, uh, complete pleasure. But, but it will be so because he is the center of it, number one. That he dwells in our presence, right? But part of what will also be beautiful about it is that he, is, he has put away evil forever. He will be more glorious because of evil in the world, because of even our sin and how he was redeemed from it. That the enemy who thought he had deceived all of humanity and made all of them enemies of God... The, the, the enemy who thought he had made everybody stained with sin. He had, in fact, but he didn't get the final word. Because God had a plan to redeem 
and to present for himself, not those stained by sin, but those who are holy and blameless. To make those who were enemies of God, friends, children, heirs. He had the trump cards one after another. And in the end, it is God and God alone who is praised for that. All of this, all of this fire hose worth of goodness toward us works together to the praise of the glory of his grace. And I will tell you that when, when this concept is unlocked in your understanding, that God is glorified by being gracious. And the more gracious we understand him to be, the more beautiful and glorious he appears to us. The more we delight in him, the more we praise him exuberantly. As your understanding is unlocked, uh, unlocked to that, I assure you that any time the Bible emphasizes his greatness and his sovereignty, and his absolute authority, and that sort of thing. It is good news to you. Because you know, you know what your story could have been. You know what your story would have been. I, again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I might ask, anybody remember what your story used to be? Mm-hmm. And the only reason, the only reason it's written differently, the only reason it's written differently is because of the grace of God. And see, that's why, that's why uh, we would do well if we just, again, we don't have to, we don't have to get a whole firm grasp on this, um, all, of, all of what's said here. But if we just begin to get our hands around the fact, even the notion of to talk about how the gospel has made a reality in my life, that the story begins with blessed be God. If even in our minds we just know that's how the story begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who did not leave me in the mess I was in. That even when I was resolved to do it my own way, he didn't let me have my own way. Even when I was resolved to do it my own way, he let me do it long enough till I got tired of doing it. He let me go all the way to the pigsty. And then when I woke up in the pigsty, he invited me back home and welcomed me when I got there, ready to clean me off and present me holy and blameless before him. He did that. He did that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that he has done is to the praise of his glorious grace. And I would say there are perhaps some today who don't know the Lord and you know that you don't know the Lord but he has been pursuing you 
and, and you don't even know it? Some of you are old enough to remember the Pepe Le Pew cartoons where, um, you know, the skunk is chasing this uh, cat that he thinks is a skunk. And the, and the cat is just always running away frantically, trying to hide. And he's just in pursuit. He's never in a hurry. He's never anxious about whether or not he's going to catch up. He knows he's going to catch up. Forgive me for uh, making any comparison between a skunk and uh, the good and gracious God who pursues us, but it is that sort of, there are some of, some of you who know that was your story and some of you who are living that right now. He has not lost sight of you. You have tried to run far away, but you haven't gotten very far. And you're wearing down and he is not. He's not frustrated. He's not upset. He's not, he's not waiting to give you a lecture or a tongue lashing first. Uh, he's going to bring you to the end of yourself and to the beginning of a whole new chapter in that story. And then you'll find out that's not the beginning of the story. That the story began a long time ago from the foundation of the world. And all of that that the enemy meant for evil, you'll discover God meant it for good and then works it together for good. Not only for those who love him in a cause or according to his purpose, but he works it together to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do praise you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is staggering, Lord. Those words have come out of my mouth so many times, and I still can't grasp even what that really means. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And we glorify your name because of your goodness to us. And we pray earnestly that your grace and power and lordship would be demonstrated afresh and anew in the lives of people who have not yet come to that place of hearing the gospel and believing it. I pray that today would be the day for some. And Lord, I pray even for some of those loved ones I prayed for earlier that their time is coming, that even as they run fast and far, they really haven't gotten far. But God, that you would claim them as your very own and in the victory parade, that you would be the one that the whole universe celebrates because of your greatness and goodness. Show yourself to be Lord in our lives, even today, in Jesus' name, amen.